0: The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church, or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well. I wanna take a moment and I wanna give a shout out to my wife, it is her birthday today, and so. Um, Yeah, somebody reminded me a half an hour ago. I'm like, I better remember. No, I'm just joking. I knew. But uh, anyway, if you're online, she is online. So make sure you wish her a happy birthday. If you're in person, she's over at our uh, uh, online uh, lobby experience. So you can go over there and say happy birthday on the way out. Interrupt her as much as you want. She's fine with it. So anyway, um, she uh, she turns 29 today. So it's uh, pretty... (laughs) pretty exciting. I know we have a 20-year-old, so do not do the math. Don't figure anything out. There's nothing to figure out. Happy 29th birthday to my beautiful wife. Um, also, I know Teresa mentioned it, but if you're not familiar with Carnival, it is the biggest party we throw all year. We do outreach in all kinds of ways, but the Carnival is a huge party. We'll see, I mean, probably somewhere around 3,000 individuals come with their kids and families and have a great time here, but the truth is this. We really need you to jump in and help. If you're able to, even setting up this week, but especially next Monday throughout the day and then the evening when the event happens, if you could, we would love to have your help. You can always sign up online. You can go to the hub in the lobby. You can go to the app. But we would love to have your help because it's a huge deal. But um, man, it takes all of us. So I'd love to have you be a part of that. We're in a series called Legacy. Um, and so today is part five. And we're going to be in various places in scripture. And we'll get to that here in a few moments. How many of you guys watch America's Funniest Videos or have watched it over the years? I know it used to be Bob Saget and now it's um, uh, Carlton. It's yeah. What's his real name though? Alfonso. That's it. I knew I knew it. So I cannot do the Carlton. I won't even attempt to. But um, anyway, I know that's disappointing. All right. So let's move on. But um, no, if you've ever watched it though, there's one uh, segment they've had on there a bunch of different times over the last at least few years where they'll set up like a phone camera in front of kids and the kids kind of don't know it's going and they'll give them a piece of candy. They'll set it on the table and say, okay, you can't have this until I come back. I'll be right back. And they leave and you see on camera, the kids are like, you know. You know, they they want to. And some kids are like, they're cool with it, they're just waiting. And other kids are like, you know, horking it up and all that stuff. Um, And I think it it comes down to that whole idea of of like, I can't help it, right? How many of you guys have used that phrase before? I can't help it, okay? Okay. Two of us. Okay, good. Okay, three, four. No, (laughs) I I think if if we're all really honest, there are certain aspects of our lives where whatever happened, we can use that phrase, I can't help it. And now that's not an excuse, but if you put um, like a a bunch of donuts or brownies in front of me, I'm going to get a dose of the I can't help it. So I'll just be real with you. And uh, I don't know about you, if it's sweets or maybe it's like salty things. Some of you guys like, you know, the, the slogan for Lay's chips, bag of chips, you know, you guys know what it is? Yeah, no one can eat just one. They're baiting you into the whole bag, right? You're like, I, I can't help it. I mean, I had to have the whole bag, which is why you really got to not buy the family-sized bag, because that's not really good at all. But in all kinds of ways, we kind of experience this sort of, I can't help it. And whether it's sort of a salty food or a sweet food, or maybe it's like, well, the episode just automatically came on after that episode ended. I can't help but watch the whole season today. You know, it's just the way um, that it goes. But for all of us, in one way or another, we've probably experienced the, the I can't help it. And, and I, I think it's something we're familiar with, but um, what about something like this? I'm so passionate about what God, God has done for me, I can't help but want others to know. When we talk about this word gospel, that word means good news. It's not just the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, It's really the story of Jesus. It's really this picture of a God who cares so much about you and I that that Jesus went to the cross to deal with our sin, to deal with the things that separate us from a holy God. And at the core, that's the message that you and I are supposed to be all about. That God's ability to to, forgive because of what Christ has done, amen? God's ability to set us free because of what Christ has done, can I hear an amen? God's ability to provide, God's ability to encourage, God's ability to set us in the purpose that he has for our lives is something where we go, man, I can't help but realize God has been so good to me. How can I make sure that those around me can see God's goodness, can hear God's goodness, can, can watch God's goodness on display through my life? That at the core, that's what we're about. When we talk about the idea, and I say all the time, you and I have got to personally be readers and studiers of Scripture. I believe that's an essential. I believe that you need to figure out how to carve out a daily habit. If you go, I don't read the Bible hardly at all, great. Why don't you figure out how to carve out a couple of times a week where you read some of it? but for you and I to get to a habit of reading and studying scripture, for you and I to figure out when we talk about prayer, sometimes prayer feels so out there or, you know, the only only certain holy people pray, but prayer is meant to be for all of us. It's a relationship that you and I have with this God in heaven who cares enough to have what we would call communion with us. And we're not talking that the bread and wine, we're talking about a relationship or in prayer, those things that you're concerned about. Those things that you worry about, those things that keep you up at night, those things that you feel for others when they're going through things and your heart is heavy, those are the things that you should bring to God in prayer. Lord, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's where I'm burdened. Here's what's going on in their lives. Would you do something amazing? Would you provide? Would you deliver? Would you encourage? Would you do a work? Would you help me know how to respond to certain situations? We learn prayer. You and I learn as we gather in an environment like this with, by the way, an incredible team, what it is to worship and, and, and worship. You go, well, I'm not into the song singing or whatever. And I understand to some degree certain people that can feel that way. Nevertheless, for you and I in an environment like this, learning to worship, that we can take things like this and go home and put on a Spotify playlist or, or put on whatever you listen to. And, 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 Find a room in our house, and, and my wife and I, my wife create a great, you know, front room where you can close the doors, and, and it's painted great, and it's comfy in there, and just put on some worship and, and sing or, or, or contemplate my relationship with God in prayer. Ways that we talk about being connected. I know you've heard this before, but life groups and how they're meant to matter because we want you to live in community with other people connected to others. Building bridges in the lives of other people that we're not here to, to sort of do church on a Sunday and then go and do whatever we wanna do, but to be connected in community. The joy of getting to know others that are sharpening each other. The joy of, of finding people that are learning what it means to pray or study scripture and doing that together, that we have this community together in life groups or in discipleship environments that we're getting better at knowing Christ. What does it say in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40? What is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And, huh? See, we're gray with the first one. And I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then you get to the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's meant to be the idea of as you study Scripture, as you learn to worship, as you look at, look at you know, what it means to be connected in community or, or do those things that we would call sort of disciplines, what it's meant to do is grow our heart in Christ towards a world that needs Jesus. And let me tell you something, the world needs Jesus. That shouldn't be news to anybody. We live in a world where it's supposed to be about the gospel, but it's not just the gospel you've received. It's going, what can I do to help others understand it? What can I do to help others experience it? What does it mean for me to live in such a way that I'm considering how does my neighbor view Jesus because of me? How does my coworker, how does my family, how do others view Jesus because of me? That should be a question. Now, to be honest with you, I would be remiss to skip a portion of this because study or prayer or worship or encouraging one another, those are huge. But another portion of this includes, when it comes to this word legacy, how you and I steward the resources God entrusts to us. There's no doubt in my mind that we can't skip this conversation because it's talked about over and over in Scripture. And so for me to skip this conversation, because people in here go, oh, no, this is awkward. Oh, no, it's the money thing. And if you're new to church, you're especially going, great, I showed up, but he's going to talk about money. Here we go. Because people get this idea. But nevertheless, it can't be skipped. Anybody out there go to the gym on a regular basis? Okay. More of you should. Anyway, um, that's. (laughs) Okay. But if, if you go to the gym at all, you've probably seen people that they show up and they love upper body day. And they do the bicep curls and they work the chest and the abs and the back and traps and all the stuff, but they skip leg day. (laughs) Or vice versa. They love leg day. And they're working quads and hamstrings and calves and all the stuff. And they got huge legs, but their upper body's missing something. (laughs) And we look at them and go, something's missing. I would be remiss to skip this conversation because in church world, it can be awkward. So I'm not going to. And I want to talk today about this idea of financial legacy because I believe it does matter. And I want to talk today for a few moments about what it means for you and I to have a Christ-centered financial legacy. And I want to start with this for you and I, to have a Christ-centered financial legacy means it advances kingdom, that it advances kingdom work. If we, you and I consider how we steward what God has entrusted to us, the idea is it creates communities of love in Christ here on earth. And our efforts reach beyond our own selves. And, and we're helping God build kingdom. That's how God designed kingdom advancement. I've said it this way for years. God's work has always been provided for by God's people. And that's part of the journey that you and I are about advancing Christ. And yes, it has everything to do with the gifts God has given us as a body. And yes, it has everything to do with the time and carving out Go. what does it mean to serve and help advance kingdom by serving? And yes, absolutely. Our talents and relationships, God has entrusted to us, but it includes how you and I look at our financial picture. It's meant to advance kingdom. Number two, super quiet in here. Number two, A Christ-honoring financial legacy breaks greed in our lives. If all our resources are about is us and what we can do for us, again, we're missing a portion of the picture. When we live outside of our own selves and what we can do for ourselves, that's when we look at the world differently. Jesus said it this way, where your treasure is, anybody? That's That's where your heart is. Wherever your money goes reveals where your heart is. And for you and I, it would be really healthy to step back and go, okay, where is it going? Where am I investing in what really matters in my life? Because again, if it's all about us and what we can do for us, we're missing a portion of it. And God desperately wants us to not live in a way that's all about us, greedy for what we can do for ourselves. Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world and don't just see that as opulently, excessively rich and they all own yachts because it's a different context even when Paul says it, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He, he, and, and by the way, I'm not gonna skip it. Paul says here, we, we're able to receive as stewards and we can enjoy it. Absolutely. I'm not going to skip that. But he goes on to say this, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Another version of that last phrase I love, they will take hold of what life really is. The only way for you and I, according to Paul saying it to Timothy, to take hold of of life that's really meant to be life is live outside of just me, myself, and I. Is to consider what it means to steward the resources God has entrusted to me in a way that says I value kingdom advancement. And that is a priority to me, so what does it mean to look at my resources that way? Quote from Henry now, and he's a professor and, and, and theologian, but he says this the pressure in our culture to secure our own future and to control our lives as much as possible does not find its support in the Bible. Jesus knows our need for security. He is concerned that because security is such a deep human need, we do not misplace our trust in things or people that cannot offer us real security. When Jesus talks about the idea of where our treasure is, then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. He says, where your treasures is, your heart will be also. And he says, you're, you're, uh, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. And we take this to go, uh, two different conversations, but it's not two different conversations. He's literally saying, when you and I live with generous eyes, is literally the definition of that. If your eyes are good, it literally means the word generous. What he's saying is this, when we look for opportunities to be a blessing, when we look for ways to advance kingdom aside from our own agendas, when we consider something outside of me, myself, and I, when we live with generous eyes, think about the difference. When you meet somebody and, and you, can, you can sense that it's all about them, it's all about what they want, as opposed to somebody else who seems to make you feel better when you're around them, build you up and make it about you not. Them, those are valuable people, generous people, and obviously we could say that's beyond a financial conversation because it is. It's true. But Jesus is talking about in particular this idea of generosity when he says it. And I know, and and, and another quote again from Henry Now, and he says money is taboo because it represents that place in our hearts where we want security and we don't want to give that away. When you and I understand financial stewardship the way that we're supposed to, you understand, like, we don't own anything. You may not enjoy that, but if you're a follower of Christ, at the end of the day, what we understand is we don't actually own anything. And I I say that because what we tend to do is mine, mine, mine. This is mine. Look, Heather and I, it's it's a separate conversation, but it's not. We're raising four children. One of them is 20 and at college. But uh, uh, 14-ish months ago, when we drove down to Southern California and left her there and drove home, some of you might have saw the post from way back when, but the post was this. God, she's not ours, she's yours. Even the idea, and I say that because even raising our own kids, like our kids aren't ours. They're his. We're stewards of the time that we have in relationship, that we have with them while we have it. And while we'll always be their parents, it takes a different form when they move out from under our roof. When they marry another individual, it takes a different form. We're always their parent though. Nevertheless, they're not ours, they're God's. How do we steward in a way that says, Lord, I want to make the most of what I have here, but ultimately it's yours. In the same way, when it comes to our resources, we can get this idea of it's mine. And so what we say in church world is this, hey, if you give a certain portion, great, and then, you know, give it to God, and then the rest is yours. But that's not true. A lot of times it's in the form we say tithe. Tithe, we set aside 10% or whatever. But here's the thing. That's not the actual equation. It goes like this. Sure, I believe we, we should all be challenged to set aside a sum and go, how do I advance kingdom with that? Great. But it doesn't mean the rest is ours. It means this, God, how do I steward the rest of it because all of it's yours? We're stewards, we're managers, we're not owners. And that goes with everything of ours. So it breaks greed and it breaks our need for control. And we all have that need, security and control. Number three, it transforms our hearts. As we already said, Jesus mentioned it. Where our treasure is reveals where our heart's at. To step back for a moment and go, am I good with that? Am I okay with that? And maybe you are, great. But maybe you go, you know, I'm not sure because where my treasure goes, I don't know if I want my heart to live there. I don't know if I want my heart to stay there. And the idea is that when you and I live outside of ourselves, there's a continual transformation going on inside of us. I've said forever, some of my favorite verses are Romans 12, one and two. And it's talking about, Paul is saying, to, to the church at Rome that we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. But then he says in verse two, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And when I was putting together my notes for this message, one of the things that came up is this, it, it, it's this idea that, that generosity is a call to conversion on a whole nother level than just salvation, and salvation is the most important. When we say salvation, we're talking about, again, the gospel, what God has done through Christ that you and I can go, Jesus, I believe you paid the price for me. Come into my life, forgive me of all of my sin. I want to serve you, I want to be yours, I want to start new today. And that's huge, and that's a commitment, a first step everybody needs to make. But nevertheless, continuing on this journey in Christ, part of it is understanding. We're talking about a conversion of our own finances because the word conversion means a deep shift in how we see or think or act. And clearly stewardship is part of that conversation. I love this and I know it can seem like a cliche phrase, but I want you to remember it. When we talk about finances and and we talk about kingdom, it's not what God wants from us. It really is what God wants for us. To understand when we invest in something outside of ourselves then we begin to care more about something outside of ourselves and that's the intent. It's the transformation that's happening in us as we live like that. And so this transformation is a big deal. Another portion, number four, is this. When you and I live with a Christ-honoring financial legacy, it, it blesses us. I'm here to tell you, and I know this gets weird, and I know you can turn on certain channels at, at 2 or 3 a.m. and some, somebody's on stage talking about, if you sow this and you give this and you call now and you dial this and you enter this information, your credit card, whatever, if you sow 100, you're gonna get 1,000. If you sow 1,000, you're gonna get 10,000. If you sow a million, you're gonna get $500 billion. It's gonna be amazing, 7, you know, 3 a.m. And you're like, awesome. Those are what we call charlatans. And why do I even bring that up? Because we misunderstand this idea of blessing. I'm just being honest with you. This gets manipulated all the time in church world, and I hate it. I get angry about it because this is what, it makes, this is what makes it awkward to talk about in the church then. Pastor's going to get up and he's going to try to manipulate us into giving a bunch of money. But that's not it. We give out of a joy. We give out of this idea of, man, all that God has done for me, I want others to realize. And yes, it takes resources, but we do not give to get. Let me be clear. We don't give in order. If I give, then God will do this for me. What is, is that? That's more of like the genie in the bottle thing, right? You rub the side, the genie pops out, go, oh man, my wish is your command. I love this, right? That's not the equation. We give out of a heart that says, man, I've been touched and moved and, and, and encouraged by the work of Jesus. I want others to know it and whatever it takes, I, I wanna be part of that. But the cool part is, as we do it with the right motive, it's cool where God meets us. And there are story after story in this room where God meets us, where we, we do something generous or we do whatever, and, and, and it's like, man, and, and some of it, it's not just, sometimes, yeah, financial, but sometimes, and I've said it this way before, sometimes our washer and dryer last a lot longer than they should. Sometimes a car goes far far longer than you'd ever imagine. There's ways that God blesses us that isn't always some numerical financial, it doesn't equate that way all the time. But it's fun to believe, fun to trust. Hey God, I'm gonna do something because I believe this is obedience to you. And Lord, you're gonna take care of stuff. And I gotta be honest, in some ways I would leave it that open-ended. However, God, you wanna do it is up to you. I'm just trying to be obedient because man, I love kingdom stuff. I love Jesus stuff. But but God does bless us. I'm just gonna be clear, he does. I can't always tell you how, but I know that he does. At the same time, we ought to do it willingly and joyfully because of what God has done for us. Number five, it stirs others to action. And you could go, well, wait a minute. If, if we're supposed to hide like what we give or Jesus talks about, like, don't let the left hand know and all this stuff, that's at the same time not the equation I'm even talking about there either. When, when Jesus talks about that, that's great. It's so not we hey, hey, everybody, look, I'm going to throw a 10 spot in today, or I wrote a check for this, or I gave this amount, and we show everybody. It's not, and now, look, everybody else is going to do something crazy. But the idea is this. When you and I live transformed in our hearts, when you and I live giving God control and giving up greed, when you and I live that way, others are automatically impacted by it. Why? It goes back to a principle I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You can say all the right things, but it's, it's only until you're living those things out that others are inspired by your lifestyle. So you can say it all day long. You can try to display it all day long. But what I love is when we live, like Jesus said, with bright eyes, generous eyes. All of a sudden that song, turn around, bright eyes. Anyway, so every now and then I fall upon. And a bonus, okay, we'll move on. If you threw up, I apologize. Okay. (laughs) But it stirs others to action. And and number six, and again, this isn't some exhaustive list. This is just a list from my notes, but it continues a work bigger and longer lasting than us. I really do believe in every one of our human hearts that we're meant to be part of something that is far bigger than us. And we know this. We lay in bed at night and go, what is my purpose in this life? What what am I even doing here? What is this even about? But at the end of the day, for you and I, that would say we're followers of Jesus, if you are, then I would encourage you that at the end of the day, at the core of who we are is, the kingdom should far outlast us. Others should be inspired by how we live. Like I said earlier, how we exist day in and day out, not just Sunday to Sunday, should impact the world around us, should make a difference in the world, should build kingdom in a way that's far beyond us. There's something amazing that happens in our lives when we pass away. And you've been a part of memorials or, or, or you know, funerals or gatherings where you're kind of closing that chapter on someone's life and, and sharing memories. And, and I just had the experience just a few days ago. Um, Curtis and I were, were at the home of uh, one of our, our church members that was 100 years old, and she passed away. But what I loved was being able to be there with the family and, and just sharing stories of, of her legacy. And it was all-encompassing when you talk about her legacy and realize how she lived her life. And the generosity of spirit and the grace that she lived out and and the way that her years were spent was so super encouraging. And I know when we started this series, (coughs) when we talked about legacy, we talked about Stephen Covey and the idea of writing your eulogy or what you want on your epitaph someday, what you would want people to say but I think about your life and my life and that we're called to make the world a better place. If you've ever read, or maybe you're in it right now with us, you're reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a really long prophetic book from the Old Testament. And when you read Jeremiah over and over and over, Jeremiah is like, you guys, stop living in rebellion. He's talking to Israel and Judah. He's like, stop living in rebellion. Stop, stop, you know, worshiping other gods. The Lord said, don't do that. That's bad. And over and over, they don't repent. And finally, Jeremiah, in, in a broken heart, says, I weep for you because somehow you won't listen. And because you won't listen, you're gonna reap the consequences of what you're sowing. And his heart is broken over. It. Finally, he gets to the place where he says, listen, Babylon is coming. And Babylon is gonna take over Jerusalem and send you away. <coughs> and nobody will listen to Jeremiah. The leaders of the nation are like, throw him in jail. Tell him to shut up. Tell him to stop it. And you know what his response is? I can't help it. And you know what happens? They don't believe they're going to be exiled. There are false prophets that rise up and say, that's not going to happen. All the treasury of the temple is going to be returned. And God's going to protect us. And Jeremiah's like, no, he's not. And are like, send him to jail again. And over and over this happens. And finally what happens? Babylon invades Jerusalem and they take all the people into exile. And Jeremiah, not out of pride, but with a broken heart says, I told you. And then if, you, if you're up to date on the reading plan, just a couple of days ago, here's what Jeremiah says. You're going to be there 70 years. Build houses, plant crops, be a blessing to where you live. Pray for the welfare of your city. And in my journal, I, I took some notes the other day when I was reading that. And you know what I said? Just in my notes, I just wrote down, God, help me today to live as a blessing where I exist. That you and I, and we did a series at the beginning of summer called Love Where You Live. Because it's really easy for you and I to go, oh, this place is this, and there's this agenda, and that thing I hate, and this political, whatever, all these things that go on, and we just exist and go, well, I guess I'm stuck here. And the challenge in that series was love where you live, meaning this, it doesn't mean you love everything about where you live, It simply means you extend God's grace by the passion you carry for his kingdom wherever you are. Love where you live. Love people where you live. Love Jesus where you live. And in the same way, when it comes down to legacy for you and me, what does that look like? Can you and I be like Jeremiah or do what he asked us to do? Back in the day, he said, you're gonna be in captivity, make the most of it. Make it a better place and pray for its welfare because you're going to be there a while. And in the same way, I would challenge us with that thing. What is your perspective of where you live? Just exist? Just be there? Just go to work and come home and go to bed and eat a bag of chips and get up and do it again? I want to challenge us because honestly, This whole picture of I can't help it happens in all kinds of levels, but what would it look like for you and I to go, I can't help but want the kingdom to advance? That that's a priority in my life. That that matters, and yes, it's about the gifts that God has given you, personality God has shaped you with, the time that God gives each of us on this planet, the relationships God uniquely put in your sphere of influence, wherever you go and whatever it is that you do and whoever you're related to. But it does include a financial reality that I'm not gonna skip. What does it look like for you and I to live with a sense of I can't help it, I wanna be part of this? When we understand how important the kingdom is to Jesus, there's something that that shifts in our priorities. And what would it look like, like I said, for you and I to have the I can't help it's for kingdom work? We talk about in certain phrases, it takes all of us for we to win. And that shouldn't be new to anybody. It takes all of us for we to win. We talk about how the church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we exist for the world. What does it look like for you and I to exist for a world that needs Christ? Part of our code says we will lead the way with irrational generosity. And then we quote the words of Jesus that are are quoted in Acts. Far into the book, they quote Jesus as saying, is more blessed to give than to receive. And we know that. What does it look like to experience the conversion of your financial situation, to go, God, I want to prioritize what you want. And I'm not here to manipulate you. I'm not here to skip over it either. What I want is the work of God in all of our hearts, to go, what does it look like for you and I together to realize, man, we want to leave a legacy, and absolutely with the talents, time, relationships, and gifts God's wired us with. But it does include our financial situation. Let's pray. Father, we give this to you. And I know in church world it gets weird, but I don't want to manipulate anything. I simply would ask that your spirit would be who we surrender to in this conversation and that you continue to bring that challenge to each of us. And Father, your your work and your kingdom does matter. And I pray, God, there are people in here that, that there's a struggle with greed. There's a struggle with mine and it's all about me. And I pray you would reveal that, Lord. There are some in here where, where God, it, it, it's literally just that challenge of, of living hand to mouth and, and, and being stuck, man, this is just kind of this rat race I'm in. But God, I pray for your work and your solutions. There are some in here that have been hurt or manipulated in church world by this conversation. And I pray you would heal those wounds. I pray you would work in every heart. That God, no doubt it, it can easily be, I think, swapped and, and, and become weird. But I pray for health in all of our hearts about this, God and that your spirit would do the work in each of us because we're all in this together. And I pray that actually would be the case. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your power. Thank you for all that you do to continue to transform us. Absolutely, that we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we love our neighbor as ourself. Thank you for how you help us be challenged to steward all that we have, including our finances in Jesus' name.